I always say to, uh, you know, when someone's like, dude, you know, Baron Fig is really cool, man. Someone came up to me and they were, you know, in a meeting, they had the notebooks and the pens. They're like, dude, you're, you know, you, you're a success. And I'm always like, man, I have, I have at least another 30 years to f*** this up. I've specifically selected the sponsor for this podcast because of the role they play in assisting small business owners. We've talked about our admiration for Chase and J.P. Morgan Chase before, and they just released a new small business credit card, the all-new Chase Inc. Business Unlimited Credit Card. With unlimited 1.5% cash back on every purchase, no annual fee, and no minimum balance to redeem rewards, the Chase Inc. Business Unlimited Credit Card is a great choice for busy creative entrepreneurs. When you're running a creative business, whether it's design, architecture, video, and everything in between, you wear a lot of hats. Keep things simple with the Chase Inc. Business Unlimited Credit Card issued by Chase Bank USA NA. For more information, visit chase.com slash inc, I-N-K. Hey, Joey, welcome to the show. For those people who don't know who you are, can you give us a little brief introduction as to who you are? Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Joey Cafone. I am a co-founder from Baron Fig uh, here in New York City. I'm looking out my window at the skyline. It's a little bit of a gloomy day, but not in here. And Oh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Lame jokes aside, um, we started in 2013 and knock on wood, we're still going. Mm-hmm. Now, I think you have the distinction of being the first graphic designer that's been on our show that successfully launched a Kickstarter uh, program. Can you tell us a little bit behind the genesis, probably before you launched the campaign, what your expectations were going into it, and then I'll follow up with some more questions. Yeah, sure. That's pretty cool. Uh, Kickstarter, we were just talking before the show how different Kickstarter is today than, than it used to be when we first did it. So back mm-hmm. in 2013... I was just a year out of art school. I went to the School of Visual Arts in New York City here. Yeah, loved Mm -hmm. it. And um, I noticed something interesting while I was there, which is that uh, all my design, fellow design students were using two tools, right? And we've seen this everywhere. It's a laptop and a notebook. So the thing that was curious to me was that the laptops were always the same. They were MacBooks. And the notebooks were always different. They were just like <laughs> different sizes, different types, everything, different brands especially. And I was, I, you know, I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, so I had been probably harping on this problem to my co-founder, Adam Cornfield, for I want to say three years because I noticed it right away in art school. Uh, finally, we're at a Thai restaurant one night, and I remember the, the table was um, – it had like a picnic checkerboard on it, you know, the red and white. But I have no idea why, because it just didn't fit the vibe. And that, that stuck in my head. And so I'm telling him again about these damn notebooks. And um, Adam was like, dude, let's just make the notebook ourselves. And I couldn't come up with a reason why we shouldn't. Back in 2013, Kickstarter was just really getting going. So I... Uh, quit what I was doing, which was freelancing for, uh, for startups and making brands and stuff like that. Uh, I gave away all of my clients to a couple of friends and started working on what would become Baron Fig. And so the first thing I did, wow. yeah. And interrupt me if you have questions. No, no, I'm going, I will, but I'm, I'm just, <laughs> you know, I'm I, just absorbing it, man. Let's okay, keep going. Dude. So the first thing I did was, um, I took a look, an in-depth look at all of my sketchbooks, you know, on my bottom shelf Mm -hmm. there. And I realized, you know, I was going through that journey, too, of trying to find, you know, the quote-unquote perfect notebook. And I did. I had all sizes and brands and whatnot. Uh, So I kind of did, like, a personal inventory. And then I ended up emailing over 500 thinkers around the world. And I asked them one question. And I'll define a thinker in a second, too. Uh, And the one question was, what do you like in a sketchbook or notebook? And so I defined thinker as not just a designer, not just a writer, and, you know, illustrators, architects, people who use notebooks, right, for their work, uh, even accountants, um, even accountants. My friend is going to love that. Anyway, so, <laughs> so I emailed 500 people because I thought, man, I'll, 
hopefully I'll get like a 20% response rate and I'll have maybe a hundred good thoughts. Well, I got an 80% response rate. Okay. I had over 400 conversations going with thinkers around the world. And when I say conversation, I mean it. We were really going back and forth, back and forth. These weren't just like, you know, one-off emails with a simple response. Uh, And it took me about three to four months to kind of wrap up all of these conversations. And I was doing it all day. This was like, I would say 80% of my day was just sitting down talking to people. Uh, I used all the knowledge that I had gained, designed the first notebook, which would eventually be called the Confidant Notebook, and we put it on Kickstarter. We had no idea um, what was gonna happen. I actually had a trip planned to a factory with Adam. I had to cancel my ticket. I was glued to my computer for the 30 days. So we were looking for $15,000 to do our first uh, production run. We ended up doing $168,000 in 30 days. Wow. Yeah, it was almost 10,000 notebooks. And Mm -hmm. we ended up raising more than enough to start the company, which we did the following year. Okay, this is where I'm going to interrupt you. So I'm following along your story. So you said you've been kind of looking and thinking about and designing the notebook for about three years. Is that right? Yes, it was like a thought in my head for three years. And then it was five months of intense design. Okay. But this is starting before you graduated school, right? Because you said, did you, I'm, I'm trying to get the dates right here. 2012, you graduated. 2013, the Kickstarter campaign's going, right? Yeah. When did I, gra- I went to school twice by accident. So I, <laughs> yeah, no, no. Was, okay. I am not a, I, wa- I was not a school person. Um, mm-hmm. I went to school the first time for literature and philosophy and I graduated okay. during the 2008 financial crisis. So then I see, I see. I went back to school, right. For four more years, so yes, 2012 I graduated, uh, and 2013 we launched it. So I was I was freelancing for a year, but I was mm-hmm. working. I started working, um, just in general, like as an employee, I guess, my mm-hmm. junior year of college. I get it. Okay, so you decide like you want to make this notebook and you're going to design it, and you decided at that point in time you're not going to take on any more client work. Right. That's a gutsy move, my friend. So yeah. I'm I'm thinking like, what are you? Like, you're mid twenties, early mid twenties. Uh, yeah, I was twenty five. Yeah, and you're saying to yourself like, I believe in this idea so much, and you have really no validation at this point except for these conversations that you're having with people that anybody's gonna buy. And we've seen this happen before, where on social media in informal things, love it, love idea. You know, people just want to send you positive energy, and then when you release a product, it's like, Bwah. yeah, nothing happens. So. What was going on in your mind when you said, okay, I'm basically going to drop out of the service design world, which is the the path that you were on in life, then to say, I'm going to just do this thing, this dream that I have, I'm going to build this. Take me there and don't yeah. leave out any juicy <laughs> detail. Well, <laughs> I, I got I to gotta start by saying that I, I personal, personally believe that the things people think are risky are not. There are far fewer risky things in our life than we believe. And I'll explain what I mean by that. So when I was in school, um, design school, my junior year, senior year, I was working at a uh, agency and I my goal was to get hired by this agency and you know just boom, seamless from college to work and just keep on rolling. Well, I did well, you know, knock on wood or whatever. I did well at the agency. I got the offer. And in the moment, I realized that that was just too easy. So I turned down the offer, okay? And I'll I'll tell you why this matters. So I turned down the offer, and everybody, including the dean of the design department at SVA, my family, they were all like, dude, you're crazy. What are you doing? And I I said, you know, I think I'm going to go do this for myself. Uh, Clearly, I can get a job if I need to, so maybe let me see what happens. Uh-huh. So they were they were like, you should not do this. This is a really difficult idea. You're going to have to do everything yourself. So whatever. I did, long story short, I freelanced. Um, it was around a year. I made my first project was $200 for six weeks. My last project was for $4,000 a week in less than a year right so clearly it worked 
And that it was kind of at that point where I was like, damn, this is too easy. So then I tell my friends and my family, I am going to stop freelancing and make notebooks. And again, they were like, dude, this is crazy. What are you thinking? You have a good thing. And that's when I realized that people can't see what they don't know and that you just mm-hmm. you shouldn't take advice. And it wasn't really risky the first time and it wasn't really risky the second time. I, I if worst case scenario, if I couldn't pay my rent or if I couldn't feed myself, that's you know, that's what friends and family are there for. And that that fear shouldn't stop me from going out. And it didn't. Um so yeah, so by the time I got to that point where I was quitting and moving along, I I didn't really think twice about it. I just right, I have a I lot of questions it. for you. Yeah, go and for it's it. very interesting to me that the first degree that you got was in literature and philosophy because as I'm reading the mission and the way you write and how you communicate that, I think somebody's been thinking about things, and hence the whole thinkers, you know, the notebook for thinkers. So here's here's where I'm I'm kind of trying to figure out with you. So you go to school and to do or study the thing that you think that's what you're going to do with your life. You get out and it's like the meltdown. The world is collapsing on top of itself, mm-hmm. right? 2008. It's all falling apart. The job market is nothing. There's no capital in the market. There's nothing. So I, here I'm thinking and I'm following along your story. That would make a normal person kind of scared. Like, okay, I tried. I failed. Or was it because it was such a gigantic catastrophe that you were thinking to yourself, well, this is much bigger than me. This is no reflection on me and my own self-worth. Yeah. Because when you go from that to then go back to school again, finding success, and there's a theme here, you don't see things risky because you've had things happen for you. You're like, I could do anything. I can get a great job if I wanted to, so I'm going to go freelance. And I went from doing $200 for X number of weeks worth of work to $4,000 a week. So success is happening for you, so it's giving you this confidence and, and you hinted at this too, where you have this network, I think, potentially a family or some kind of safety net that you weren't worried about money or jobs. That was going to always be an easy thing for you. So this wasn't so risky. How does one go from that entering into like the worst economic period in this generation, right? Yeah. To feel like I'm on top of the world. I could do anything I want to. Chris, we're going to get personal here. Okay. Let's do it, man. Let's go deep, dude. I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk some. Real Let's go stuff. in the deep end of the pool, yeah. my friend. Yeah. Take me there. I'm six three, man. I, my feet touch, touch the bottom. <laughs> the Are you really six three? It's hard to tell on camera. <laughs> I am six three. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm a midget next to you. Keep going. Uh, all right. Giant. So it's not. <laughs> the weather's good up here, man. <laughs> yes, it is. So, it's not. It's not just confidence. Um in having a safety net right that was that's part of it then i I think the the more powerful part is what i i I don't know how to say this i don't think i've ever actually said this um in public so you know hope you hope your audience uh, this is an exclusive guys it is this is i think it is exclusive um so when (laughs) i I come out a little raw yeah it will come out so I've I've seen things really bad, okay. I've I've okay. seen I've seen what bad is. Uh, when I was when I was young, I was raised by a single woman, uh, my mother, and she got cancer when I was uh, seventh grade. Sorry, sixth grade, and she passed away when I was in eighth grade when I was thirteen years old, right. And I had to, I, I watched that happen, you know, and barely understanding as a kid, um, you know, first of all, just like seeing that, uh, but then also having to start to take care of myself more and more and more and more. Uh, and that, you know, I, d- I don't wish that on anybody, but it taught me a lot. And I certainly don't, don't wish it happened, uh, but it did. And, um, you know, I had to. I got adopted once and then I got adopted again, basically. Thankfully, I got adopted into my family the second time, but um, I was adopted by my grandfather and his step, uh, and my step grandmother. I know it's a little, you can, if, if I need to clarify, I'll clarify. And so my grandpa and I were super tight. Cool dude. His name was Lou. He was a plumber. I used to do plumbing uh, with him every summer. I, I can, you know, do all that neat stuff i know how his am i allowed to curse yes you are, are allowed to curse cool. i think he's he's safe 
shit goes downhill payday every friday you know that was <laughs> that was his motto wait hold on that's like that needs to be in a t-shirt somewhere <laughs> yeah, where right life sucks but we get paid on friday yep, that's like it. life is good again okay yeah. it's all like it's two things wrapped into one like you get punched and then you get a uh, slap on the back okay <laughs> And and he 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 loved what he did too. He was um, a master plumber, which is actually you know a real classification. Um, his name was Lou or Luigi. He was an Italian pump plumber, and he wore all green. No, I, I Luigi know. an Italian yes. plumber. Yes. Come on, man. Yes, it is true. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you know him and I were close, and he taught me a lot. Um, and he passed away when I was seventeen. And the moment I turned 18, my step-grandmother came into my room one day. And um, I remember this, you know, like it was yesterday. She, uh, she walked in and sat on the bed and she said, you know, come sit down next to me. And uh, I, I kind of knew what was coming, but, I, you know, you don't really think it could happen. Um, but she said, you know, this isn't working out, you know exact words i'll never forget and i said what do you mean and she said you know you and me here in this house it's not working out and i said okay and she said you have to leave and it was just like that that she booted me out and i got my stuff uh that day and i hopped in the car and i drove to the gym and i worked out and then after that i realized i had nowhere else to go and so, um, so then I proceeded to sleep in my car for a while because I was embarrassed. I didn't want to tell anybody that this had happened. Um, and it was a, a little while, a couple weeks, that I pulled it off without anyone knowing. And then, you know, finally, uh, my cousin, cousin Matt, he's a fireman. I don't know. For whatever reason, he figured it out. I have no idea. And um, they took me in, my cousin. And I lived in, they, they actually like furnished the basement. They, they put furniture in it, painted it, you know, rug, everything. They made it awesome. They put a bathroom and a shower just for me. Um, and so that whole experience taught me a lot. But before, you know, I guess there's a little bit I missed where it's like bef- between the couch and my cousin, uh, sorry, between the car and my cousins i was also on a lot of couches and i remember the first couch that i slept on where it wasn't the car where i was like man this is the most amazing thing ever Mm. that i got to sleep on a couch um and i remember the first night that i finally got to sleep in a bed after so long and i it was then that i realized what really mattered you know if i didn't know already just just having a bed and having a, a safe place to stay and a soft bed to lie on um, was really all I needed. So to answer your original question, which is, you know, how do you take these risks? For me, I've seen like, I've been there where I've not had a lot. And so I'm okay if I need to go, you know, sleep on my friend's couch for a little while or, or crash at family. You know, it's not it's not that bad. It's it's actually quite nice. Mm-hmm. And if that is the only thing stopping me, the fear of having you know can't pay my rent, um, if that's the only thing that's stopping me is that fear, then I think it's not a fear that I should give into. And it wasn't so far. Th- thank you for sharing that story. Yeah. Uh, it it was through my ignorance bumping into that that you were able to share that and. Uh, there's some things into your story that I think I, I don't I don't know how I would process that, and then there are parts of your story where I can 100% relate to. Uh, I remember reading this article in Time Magazine about the surprising result of people who have very little in life, and that is resiliency. That there's like two paths, right? So so people who've not had not had a stable family or who've been abused and all these other kinds of things, some many of them break, and then they need lots and lots of help and therapy and then some of them just galvanize and become really strong and, and from what you just told me it sounds like you've become the second of the two options there the latter and to know that about you it's like i don't want to just i don't want to pry into that too much so that i mean 
Did you ever... <laughs> I mean, are you your own parent and guardian now? Or did somebody else adopt you again so like like who do you consider your parent right now um my wife's parents have i see become you know mom and dad to me but i didn't have that for you know over a decade or 15 mm-hmm. years i guess or more i got married in june what's that three months ago mm-hmm. yeah so that's exciting they're coming to visit next week which i'm very excited about and if they're listening to this hi mom hi dad <laughs> Which they most wow. definitely are because they're big fans. It's cool to actually feel, you know, uh, like they do what parents would have done, which just blows me away. Now now we, we have some kind of context to understand why you can take these risks that you say it's not so risky when you've had very little or nothing. That you kind of understand you, you knew how to survive then so you can always go back to that if necessary. And I think that's one of these messages where uh, something I'm struggling with myself because um, as a first generation refugee to America, I grew up with not a lot either. And I thought that the the environment in which I grew up made me who I am today. And now my kids who are growing up with more things than I've ever had in, in upper class neighborhoods and going to private schools, that maybe I've robbed them of that experience that they don't get a chance to be tough because, and it's too hot. They're like, "Oh, turn on the air conditioning," and it gets a little bit out of that comfort zone. It's like, "Oh, it's so cold. Turn on the heater." Yeah. You know, like little things like that. I'm like, you know, yeah, that, I, I you, you've become soft. Too. You know, yeah. we, uh, I don't know when a kid is 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 going to be coming, but it's certainly in the next few years for me. Mm-hmm. And I think about that too. You know, where I, I want them to have like the easiest time almost but then is right. is that a is that a disservice to them mm-hmm. yeah. well i've got a couple of years on you i'll let you know how the experiment <laughs> yeah, yeah, turns out so that you can course I'll correct you if necessary <laughs> yeah call me up call me like the the day that you know you're, you're you have a child on the way call me up and we'll talk and i'll say oh yeah a little harder would have been better or you know what it's okay because you're actually teaching them through your lens so it's never like taking anything for granted yeah no, Maybe two, three generations later, it might be a different story, but I'm, I'm still holding on to some of those old school values. I've never been in a position where I put something out in the way that you did to tell your story, to raise money, thinking that you're going to get $10,000 or 16000 whatever it is that you tried to raise, and then you wind up getting something in like 10, 16x or whatever it was. It's just a ridiculous amount of money. And your vacation plan is like, nope, let's stay on this because it's taking off. And and I think in your heart, every entrepreneur believes is like, I have a winner idea. It must be. This is destined to become. But then when you actually see it, how'd that make you feel? Thrilled. Um, you know, I, my partner and I, Adam, tend to pat ourselves on the back quickly and then move on. So we never really sat down and were like, wow, this is so great. This is amazing. We rock. You know, it was sort of like, dude, that wasn't too bad. And he was like, yeah, man, a little more than I thought. And I was like, word. And then we like, all right, let's get to work. Mm. And that, that's really what it's been um, all these years. You know, I'm going personally on six years with Baron Fig, if you include from when I started. Um, we just keep our heads down and keep going. I always say to, uh, you know, when someone's like, dude, you know, Baron Fig is really cool, man. Someone came up to me and they were, you know, in a meeting, they had the notebooks and the pens. They're like, dude, you're, you know, you, you're a success. And I'm always like, man, I have, I have at least another 30 years to f- this up. <laughs> <laughs> so, to, you know, talk to me later. <laughs> I mean, every once in a while we produce a video. And that video takes off, and I'm 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 there with you, man. I'm like watching it, like oh my god, like what is going on? Like we struck a nerve somewhere. Like a belief was true, and when you when it's actually realized, some people would find that scary. Like it you is, want to succeed, but you don't want to succeed like too much. Yeah, yeah, it is scary, but it's it's as much you know scary as much as anything else. Exciting, thrilling. And I think the more important thing is just to kind of let it all wash over you, at least for me, and just feel it, you know, and like observe it as if all of those feelings, like this is me and those things are over there. 
and it's a little bit wild and it might overwhelm me for a bit but then you know i'll let that go and i'll be cool i feel like throughout my life that's kind of what i've had to do is separate you know how i feel from what needs to get done and that has been helpful Mm -hmm. okay now i want to point something out and i totally agree with you and i am the same way when you're talking to friends and designers and creative types and we're all in that same search i think for the perfect notebook the holy grail and we're just sitting here and, and you're right i have a lot of different notebooks like that one's too heavy too many pages too few too big too small too hard whatever the paper feels cheap and then you're going in to solve that kind of problem but at the end of the day regardless of how innovative you are in the space it's still a commodity item right it, there's a function and people buy it so i'm just curious from your point of view what's your opinion on this do people buy your notebooks because it's that kind of product or are they buying part of your store and your philosophy? Yeah, great question. Great question. And I think that was that was the core problem actually was that people were buying the commodity of a notebook, right? And it's I think the same thing that um, Starbucks did to Dunkin' Donuts, right? Mm-hmm. Which was Dunkin' Donuts was a commodity. Like we make coffee here, have it, and there's donuts too. And then Starbucks was like, hey man, you know, hey everyone, coffee is a way of life. It's a ritual, you know, it's in the morning or in the early afternoon for most people. Um, and and this, that is how I feel about notebooks. And so the brand is based around the, the, the ritual or the sacred space that is, is a notebook. Uh, and so I think that, and I hope that, the majority of our customers, you know, see what we're trying to do, if not doing it, and are responding because of that. 100%. I love that story and how you're making that parallel where the notebook becomes part of an experience. You talk about um, rituals and rituals are very important to people and especially for brands that have a strong following. Yeah. I mean, my wife wakes up every morning. We both get up at 530. She sits on the couch here and doesn't even turn on a light, just uses the the little light that comes in, and she writes in her journal every morning. You know, and everybody has their own ritual with a notebook, if it's work, notes, or brainstorming, what have you. Uh, and it's it's just, in the end, it's highly personal. Mm. Okay, so we're, we're as I'm following along your story, you, you raise the money, crowdfunding, it's a smash runaway, Take me through what the the first year was like for you, because that's where a lot of people fail. Yeah, yeah. What do they say? Eighty percent of startups fail in the first uh, year, two years, or something. And I yeah. was like, well aware of that. So like, my mm-hmm. goal was like, we need to survive. Um, which actually, I've come to believe that in order to succeed in business, sometimes it's not beating your opponents in terms of doing better faster it's just outlasting them just surviving just making it to the next year or the next month um so the first year was was wild it was adam and myself and we actually got a um a studio that was big enough to house all the notebooks okay and we were like yeah we're gonna ship these things ourselves and everybody was telling us, dudes, don't do that. You know, it's a lot of work. We were like, ah, we could do it. So we, we signed a, a two-year lease, I think, on this place, right? Then it just so happened someone came along who had done a Kickstarter, who had shipped stuff herself, and she was just sitting there in the room, and she goes, don't do it. And we were like, oh, crap, you're right. So long story short, um, we ended up using a fulfillment center, and Adam and I sat at two desks, two tiny desks in this giant room with nothing else in it for, for like two years. Uh, and we, in that, in that giant room with those tiny desks, we did everything ourselves. We split it, everything down the middle, social media, marketing, writing, production, design, uh, customer service. It was all done by the two of us. And it was, it was rough. It was, I would say we worked like six and a half days a week for that whole time but it was enjoyable too it was thrilling i i always woke up early and just went to the studio you know 
before dawn and just got started. It was just fun, and it's still fun. Okay, I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring out all the parts and pieces here. You raise the money. The, the, there's a lot to do so you can get the product in people's hands, right? And you got to deal with printing logistics and some, some fulfillment company. So what is it that you're doing six and a half days a week in between checking in on stuff? Yeah. <laughs> all right? Feel, yeah, like, yeah, don't skip yeah. that part. Come on. Like, I know, me. right? You're selling one notebook. It's in the <laughs> yeah, warehouse. Yeah, one skew. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. in pre-sold everything. What are you doing all the time? No. Yeah. So uh, we quickly realized that we needed to do something because we had nothing to release. So we were like, all right, we got to do short, medium, and long-term work. Uh, so the short-term work was let's do something interesting. Let's make videos. Let's take photos and start sharing them nonstop. And then the midterm stuff was to create these things called Baron Fig Projects. So we quickly realized that if you spend money on advertising, great, it works. Then when the money's gone, the ads are gone, right? You know, hopefully you have customers left over, but you otherwise you have nothing to show for that investment. So we thought, hey, what if we spend, you know, for example, 10,000 bucks and do something really weird, wild, and risky, you know, like, say, build a couch out of pennies or something. And then we record it and put it on the internet under Baron Fig. That $10,000 stays as content. If people like it, they share it. It's more risky, but it could be more effective. So we started doing that. And then the third thing was designing new products. So the next thing to come out was the first was the confidant hardcover notebook the next thing was the apprentice pocket notebook the soft cover i like and the names that you come up with your products <laughs> thank you thank you the confidant and the apprentice what <laughs> makes it an apprentice as opposed to a confidant good question actually since then we've rebranded the apprentice to the vanguard to make it not seem like a uh, like a side <laughs> to something else and it's doing much better <laughs> okay all right so you've uh, I, I guess I'm, I'm i'm trying to imagine year one where okay we we got a product to ship and once that's done we better do something else because then we're going to be looking at each other in a large room with nothing else to do so you're you're planning different products you're doing marketing you're building the brand beyond the kickstarter thing so that it lives lives on right yeah just anything that we could do, any type of hustle, phone calls, mm -hmm. emails, going to events, talking to people, just constant, constant motion. So I, I think the way Kickstarter works is they take their cut and they just put the money in your account. And yeah. then it's up to you to actually fulfill and get those orders. Now, in those early days, you're always managing your burn rate and to make sure your runway is good. Did you ever have issues with capital? Like, did you... How, did you live within your means or was that ever a problem? Thankfully, no. You know, seriously, knocking on wood here, it, it has not been a problem. We've always been able to operate under the idea that, you know, spending is a pedal and you can accelerate and decelerate and you can also augment it. You know, that mm -hmm. we've put our we've put personal funds into the company for sure. But thankfully, up till now still we a hundred percent own baron fig and that includes the employees everybody has a share i'm finding that there's a pretty common theme with entrepreneurs that i talk to that they have transparency on their finances without letting that bog them down so it's really important when you select a business credit card that you keep it simple because there are so many things that need your attention when you're managing and growing your business. Business owners need to focus on growing their businesses and not their business credit card. Okay, so you're you're pretty good at managing the money, figuring out all this kind of stuff. So finances aren't an issue yet. But let me let me just ask you this question: If if a truck pulled up tomorrow and just dumped like five or ten million dollars at your doorstep as the, the person guiding the ship as the co-founder what would you do with that money if, if that arrived like do you have any kind of big plan something that you would do on a scale that you haven't been able to do it would be a whole living room full of pennies 
know, <laughs> it's not just the couch. Yeah, no, we have we have plans, you know, that'll probably take us 10, 15 years to hit the end of that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing I can really tell you about. Uh, but yeah, yeah, there are absolutely <laughs> things that we would do. I kind of, I believe in um, pointing, not planning. Okay. Oh, I like that. Yeah, point, don't plan. Joey Cafone, 2000. <laughs> <laughs> so, and what I mean by that is like, yes, for me, planning is when you have like five things, but then you put a time to it. Pointing is where you just say, here are the five things I'm going to do, and then you be responsible about it, right? And mm-hmm. then the second one is a little more abstract, and it takes a little more willpower and discipline, but I think it's also more effective because it's more realistic. You can't predict the future. You know, if I said maybe thing number three was for two weeks from now, but I end up doing it in four weeks from now, should I feel bad because I put two? No, not at all. It's just how things are. Um, so at Baron Fig, in, in my personal life, you know, productivity-wise, um, we do le- the first thing we do is we say, okay, what are all the steps to getting anything done? And we start at the end and work back. And then uh, we're constantly adjusting the time frame as we go moving it along every every team member at baron fig has the ability to adjust you know i'm doing this next week or i'm going to do this today nothing if we're doing it right nothing should be like this has to be done right now mm-hmm. and that is kind of the soul of point don't plan it sounds like you have this wonderful company culture and structure where all the employees are owners you point you don't plan it's all very flexible you're in a product business. That means that you are your own bosses ultimately. Yes, you do have customers you have to make happy, but how fast, how slow you want to move is entirely up to you. But are there any kind of tools or things that you use to kind of keep everybody on the same page to, to track or to manage? Or is this a free-for-all at the Joey Show? No. So I'm, I'm process-obsessed. Obsessed. Oh, okay. Every little kind of process that as like you know part of the bigger processes they i i want to refine every little bit uh and this was a big pain point for quite some time and we finally landed on base camp to organize our team and our projects and it has been absolutely phenomenal you know if anybody over there at base camp is listening thank you for the free month you're going to give me for this (laughs) (laughs) it's a great tool it really is Mm -hmm. okay we, we love Basecamp, too. We've since evolved from Basecamp and are using other kinds of tools. But for the for the many years that we used it, it was great as our project management tool. What uh, what do you use in your personal life, if anything? What do you mean? Like, do you have a project manager type of thing or a task manager that you use? Mm, okay. Uh, for my personal life, I don't use a whole lot. I use Trello. I use Notion. And then I just use iCal so that that syncs with the entire team. And so they always know kind of what I'm doing so they can plan accordingly. So, for example, this podcast was planned because people knew what my schedule was and they can't send me to a client meeting at the same time, obviously. Uh, but the team uses, uh, I think, uh, Team Gantt to, to do project management and it, it gets pretty deep. It gets so deep I haven't even looked at it ever. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you guys, you guys do that. That's sure, awesome. go team, you know. That's and cool. I'm I'm in a in a slightly similar but different way than the way that you manage your company. It's that we have objectives, we know what done looks like, how we get there, I leave it up to everybody. The only criteria is to make sure that we uh work in the best interest of the company and serve our customers well. And then everything else is up to you guys. And and we are very blessed and fortunate to have creative directors and executive producers who really treat the company as if it were their own. That's beautiful. I, I just want to talk about money a little bit more because you were talking about the accelerator, like uh, push down or like ease off on it. You know, How do you know when to do that? Is Do you have a financial person who tells you that or are there reports that you get? How do you know when it's like, yeah, we could invest in this new thing or I better slow down? Good question. Um, so Jay Desai and myself jay is the ceo of baron fig he and i went to we've known each other for like 18 years now maybe uh we went to high school together 
we live together. Him and I manage the finances uh, and the projections together. We review everything. And the real strength in just good planning is that you can see problems coming from a great distance, right? You know, I know I said point, don't plan, but I maybe I need a better word for that second one. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, uh, so we can see, we lay things out, and we can see clearly if, you know, there's going to be an issue where we should move cash from one objective to another. Uh, and, and actually the same thing goes for Basecamp mm-hmm. too. So you can see if there's going to be a crunch and you can, you can head that off weeks in advance. So mm-hmm. yeah, when, when we're accelerating and decelerating, you know, if you want to take that metaphor the whole way, it's like we're, you know, we're a mile away from the curve and we're already decelerating because we see it coming. Mm-hmm. And what kind of tools are, I mean, are you, are you doing this like once a month or I'm trying to get into your space and like and look see the world through your yeah. eyes. What tools, techniques are you using so that you know uh, where, you, where you can see a problem before it hits you? We use so for financial uh, to see a financial problem, we use Google mm-hmm. Sheets and we oh. just have our financial doc. Uh, and we probably him and I come in first in the mornings, and we probably look at it. I would say two or three times a week in the morning, and I'll be like, "Hey, look at this," or "What if? What if we do this?" Or if we need to update something. So we're looking at it frequently. Mm-hmm. And we have, I think, Jay's, Jay's in charge of like the projection, you know, forward projection part. I think he's got in there till 2021. So we can see a lot. Wow. So yeah, there's some predictive right. modeling, right? There's some financial modeling that you're doing. Yeah. Like this month we should be doing this based on current trends. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And he's got all those algorithms uh, going that I have no idea how they work. <laughs> he's the man. So what are you? What are you specifically looking at? We we just keep in mind, okay? I, I know you know this because you're a graphic designer yourself. Is that the finances are what makes our brain crumble and just like wah? Mm. So are there just without getting too deep before people's eyes roll back? What are you looking at when you're looking at these numbers? Cool. To, to know that your health is good. In the sim- simplest yeah, terms simplest. possible, the spreadsheet goes from left to right. All right. It's a timeline. Mm-hmm. And then from top to bottom, it just lists all of our income and then all of our expenses. And then it gives the balance at the bottom. And it just does it by month. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you just type in, you know, for people who are a little bit afraid of this or haven't seen it before, you just type in what you expect to earn, what you expect to spend. And the balance continues to the next month and the next month, and you'll see quickly, uh, automatically, it'll populate the the correct numbers and tell mm-hmm. you, you know, if you're good or not. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now uh, I'm going to just jump forward in time. We, we've gone through, we survived. Congratulations, you know, past the first, second, third, fourth. Now we're in your sixth year. What? And, and I think you you start to get the ebb and flow of the company at that point. You know what to look out for the icebergs, if you will. What is a, I don't know, what is a typical day like for you? I get up at 5.30. Got another one of those early birds. Yeah, yeah, I love getting up early. I've, I've, I, I've always gotten up early. Mm-hmm. Or better, it's better said I've always gone to bed early. I've always been like, all right, guys, at sleepovers, they're playing, you know, Goldeneye. And I'm like, <laughs> guys, I'm, I'm crashing, please don't bother me. You're like the old guy in the group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been calling Grandpa. Like, yeah, yeah. Grandpa's like, yeah, we were never. She got to play go and I'm going to go to bed. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so okay. I naturally, then I get up early, uh, but that wasn't really the goal. So I work out, I meditate, I practice the trumpet, I read, and then I start my day. And okay. Like, I kind of get like the, the body, the mind, spiritually, the mind, knowledge-wise, and then um, practicing the trumpet. I suck at the trumpet. It's a good reminder of, um, you know, like to appreciate being good at something and the journey. And what time are you ready to go to work? Uh, I am at the studio around 6.45. Oh, so that's not a lot of time. You're efficient here. Yeah, well, I work out before and then I do the the other things at the studio. Oh, I see, I see. Okay. 
Yeah. So you're in by 6.45, and then what happens the rest of the day? It's just a typical day. Not Nothing, yeah. um, drop the outlier. What's a normal day look like? The normal day is you know, people start rolling in around 8, 9 mm-hmm. o'clock. Um, Lazy. All right? Slackers. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, all you do is you point. You can't plan that. So you just exactly. Like, I'm just going, like, hey, you're here. Yeah. All right. What's next? <laughs> so uh, my day is kind of like two things. It's like I'm either designing something or uh, helping, you know, make sure people have what they need to do their job. That's the simplest way I can describe it. Okay. <laughs> It's kind of broad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, in terms of design, like my focus is on new products. Yeah. And marketing. Um, That's the social stuff? The marketing, yeah, it's kind of all the above. Like how we present ourselves and how we present our products and how we talk about them. You know, mm-hmm. and that goes to Andy and Lara who handle social and outreach and things like that. Okay. So when do you kind of say, that's enough for me today, I'm going home? Five o'clock. Five o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it didn't used to be. It used to be, Mm -hmm. days used to be long. But, uh, you know, thankfully, the team is capable. You know, we're in a good spot. Um, I I really would like everybody to kind of leave relatively early, you know, especially here in New York. Um agencies in new york will keep people till like seven or eight o'clock you know Mm -hmm. regularly uh that's not us you know it's kind of like nine to five yeah and you know bankers hours man yeah hell yeah and i'll totally tell people you know enough is for you know there's always more work like go have a good night that's the thing about work there's an unlimited supply yeah there is it'll be there tomorrow and there'll be more don't worry this is the thing man when you when you're a kid you know there is there is not an unlimited supply of work. So you, there's homework and then it's done. You're like, I did everything I needed to do. Right? Then you get right. older and you're like, okay, I got to I got to chase that feeling, but it it doesn't come ever again. There is always more to do. So, you know, people out there who are trying to finish off their task list or finish, you're never going to finish. Just what you need to do is say, I am finished for today and chill mm-hmm. out. I love what you said. And it sounds like you 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 live this super balanced life. I'm going to have to take your word for it, where you're taking care of all parts of you. Not many creative people I know do that. So you work out for the body, you meditate for the spirit, you read for the mind, and you play trumpet for your art. That's exactly it, yeah. I think there's a book there, Joey. Has that book not been written? I don't know. Because there are a lot of books that will focus on one of those categories. There's a ton of workout books. There's books on meditation. Not that many books on reading, I suppose, but then a few things on art that are more or less okay. Mm. But it's the integration, the the melding of all those things that I think makes you, you. So as you're doing your task, because it's all, I, I have to imagine, it's mostly self-driven. How do you manage um, your, your time? How is it that you're able to get what you need to get done and get out at 5 p.m.? I'm going to keep this one really simple. Yeah. I have a task list for work, which is base camp. And I have a task list for my personal life, which is things, things three, the app. Mm-hmm. And then I put things on, I put things, I put the tasks I have to do on my iCal. Oh, okay. That's it. So in the morning, on Mondays, usually I'll lay out the week and it changes, mm-hmm. of course. I mean, if you do the same thing. So my t- each little task actually becomes a block of time. And I know I said point, don't plan, but there's a... There's <laughs> a uh... <laughs> you have to do some planning. Come on. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The, the, real, the real gut of that, the heart of that idea is that you are okay when you adjust. It's constant right. adjustments. It sounds to me like Joey's got a really good business head. He's been able to manage to grow his business without the need for a lot of extra capital. But that's the exception versus the rule. As you grow, you need a business credit card that will help you manage your expenses and cash flow, but one that won't complicate your business. It's important to choose the right products, tools, and partners, and to keep it simple. Okay. 
All right, let's get into your mini vacations concept. What is this all about? Oh, yeah, it's very straightforward. Um, it's just, you know, we don't, a lot of entrepreneurs uh, don't take vacations. Or, you know, they don't go away for that long. Yeah. Uh, and that's fine. I, in the last several years, I think I've only gone away a couple times. Um, but what you really should be doing is not thinking about your big vacations. You know, you're, you're five, ten days away. Um, but it's your mini vacations that you should be taking almost daily. And we touched upon it a little, like five minutes ago when I said, you know, go home and enjoy your night. And I mean that. Go home and forget about everything. Sit down, you know, be lazy, play video games, watch movies, whatever it is that you like to do where you feel guilty. Do that and stop feeling guilty and just let it all go and forget about it. And those are the mm-hmm. mini vacations. I think mm-hmm. people need to take more of them. Uh, Jim Rohn talks about this in his book, um, Seven Strategies for Wealth and Happiness. He talks about the seasons that there, we've moved away from an agrarian lifestyle, so we forget that there are seasons, time to plant, time to harvest, and time to store. And when we mix those things up and we, we think it's the harvest season all the time, we mess up the natural rhythms of life, right? Where the 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 guy that goes to work but thinks about his family, so he leaves work early to go home to spend time with his family, is not doing a great job at work. So then he gets home, he spends a little time with his family, he feels guilty for not finishing the work, so then he's going to be working while at home. So he's not doing anything good anywhere. So I, I love what you're talking yeah. about. You need to come up with a better phrase for that, though, my friend. Yeah, I got a whole list. I got homework. Yeah, come on, man. Are you are you making a, a list here of things you got to knock out here? Oh, my but God. But I, I yeah, like that well, philosophy. I, I have a video, so I'm going to watch it back. I'm going to start taking notes. All right, I got to do this one. Oh, you're right. This is that. new media. Where is your thinking notebook? This is where it's supposed to live. Dude, right here. No. <laughs> no, I shouldn't ask you to do that because one of your hands is holding the mic. So you're not. it's going to be... Uh, unintelligible. I can't write. I can't yeah. write right now. I'm not one-handed with the note, but yeah, I get it. But I, I really like that, where you seem to have this really balanced way of living your life, and you have enough focus to do the work and to make money, but you're not in this, like, let's... It's not about world domination and just killing everything. Yeah. We have a phrase here in our uh, little home. Okay. Th- I'm waiting for this one. This one. Oh, this one's, this not, one's good? This one's not right. too bad. It's not, it's right. not that good, actually. <laughs> It's it's but it's simple and it's true and yeah. me and my wife say it to each other every now and then is is um, we have everything we need to be happy. I like that. In tough moments, um, you know, I'll say it to her or she'll say it to me, and then we'll repeat it together three times. Because yeah, you know, ha- this is nothing new, but happiness, being happy, I think, is more often than not a choice. You, know, you need to actually decide like. I can be happy despite, you know, X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. Because you really, I mean, you don't need much to be happy. I love it. Is this one of those things where you kiss her in the morning? You're like, we have everything we need to be happy. Honey, <laughs> 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 yeah. if you're listening to that, that was Joey and not me. We're not kissing each other. Uh, and if you just got a wet one in your ear, you can also thank Joey for that one. Yep. Okay. You just kissed a lot of people. Yes, you did. And they're feeling the love, man. Good. I love you. Okay. I got only a couple more questions for you. Uh, appreciative of your time and, and the wisdom that you're sharing with us. You've been dropping a lot of tips on how to live a balanced life, how to get stuff done and not let work dominate you. Is there any other piece of advice that you haven't already shared to business owners out there that I haven't been able to pull out of you just yet? Yes. Oh, all right. I'm ready. I think so. There's a couple okay. of short ones. Um, mm-hmm. you number Stop one talking is, about me like that. <laughs> number one is uh, no one else is going to solve your biggest problems. Um, and, you know, sometimes you face a wall and you just can't figure it out. And you have to say to yourself, you know, I will figure it out. I just am not in control of when I will figure it out. You know, chipping it away, chipping away at it every day. I like that philosophy that no one's going to solve your biggest problems, so you have to kind of sort it out at some point. When did you come to that realization? Uh, these are a- actually Adam is probably due most credit for this. You know, 
back in the day, we were only two people, and so we were trying to get help where we could. And there were some areas where when we had already figured it out, we could then pass it on and it would do well. But if we tried to have someone do something that we first didn't figure out for ourselves, for the company, you know, it's as simple as how do we do, you know, speak to our customers on social media? What software even should we use? Right. Um, You know, or how should we ship our products? Big and small things. We had to figure it out first and understand it before we could pass it on. So what is the, um, the thinking behind the opposite, which is, oh, we don't know how to do this. Somebody help me out. Is that the default response you think that people have versus we have to become self-reliant and we have to solve the problem first before we outsource the solution to somebody? Yeah. I think everybody has their different threshold. You know, some people will push further than others, but there's most certainly at some point it passes through everybody's mind, you know, myself included, of course, where it's like, damn, I wish I had someone here who knew this and you could just solve it for me because I cannot mm-hmm. figure it out. So what's the next gem that you have for us? This one is, uh, I feel least comfortable speaking about, but I think it's important to talk about regardless. And that is try to figure out how to be a good leader and really work on that specifically. And don't, don't think that that just comes or that you have the right to anything because it is something you started or own. It, it is most certainly not. If you are in the position where people have, you know, look up to you or work for you, then you are, you have a, an enormous responsibility to them. Um, and for me, like I've just tried to be, I guess, a servant leader you know, it's like, I'm not at the top, I'm at the bottom. And everybody mm-hmm. comes first has been what I try to do most. And I hope, you know, the Baron Fig team is happy. I do my best. That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a whole lifetime bef- and I, you know, before I can really feel comfortable and probably not even then. What do you think? You know, when you're saying this, um, I was kind of thinking about this question, and let me just throw this out there. I, I don't want to get uh, into a spot where you're not, you're not comfortable talking about, it, but you know what I, what I see in front of me right now and who I'm listening to is, is a guy who's wiser beyond his years, who's really grounded, who's, who's, who's driven, but not so much that it's, it's going to hurt people. The fact that you want to put others ahead of yourself, be that servant leader. And and that's really how you are a true leader, not the person who just writes the paycheck. Where, where does this person come from? Who shaped this thinking? Was it your grandfather, Lou? Was it your mom? Because I always find that people are shaped by their, their childhood and, and their influences. So can you speak to that? Yeah. Yeah. My mom was a strong woman who raised me alone and my grandfather was a master plumber you know which means he was dedicated to his craft and it was an amazing thing to witness it was also just socially interesting even as a kid i could recognize how people treated him when they learned that he was a plumber you know that's not something that's revered right and maybe not even respected you know he used to say you know there are two things this world needs doctors and plumbers um, but I learned a lot just from watching and he ran, you know, his own business, plumbing business. And my uncle is the third one. He was a carpenter. Um, and he was sort of like the mop for me. He was a, a modern Leonardo da Vinci cause he was always reading. Um, and mm. just saying, you know, just talking about all sorts of things. He would speak to me like I was an adult, even though I was a kid. And, uh, and then he would build these crazy contraptions, you know, to make his life better. You know, I, I wish he was alive now because I've had so many product problems that I wish I could take to him and be like, hey, you know, how would you build this? Um, but, you know, I don't have that. But those are the three people, I think, for mm-hmm. me that, uh, that shaped a lot of what I've become, for better or worse. 
No, for better. <laughs> for sure. We'll see. Do you think um, a lot about your own mortality? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. I used to, I, I don't know if I, I feel like everybody goes through this at some point. You know, for me, it was like in my early twenties where I had like this incredible fear of death. Like there was, you know, there was nothing I could do to escape it. Um, and I couldn't, you know, it took a long time to come to terms with that idea. You know, what's the point of living if I'm going to die eventually? Um, but I think that's part of being human. You know, we all have to see it eventually and then face that, you know, at different points. So, you know, nowadays, I don't think about it. You know, I appreciate life. I think about the the opposite half of that. Mm-hmm. For somebody who's gone through having suffered some, like a tremendous loss or losses in your life and, and going through those kind of darker thoughts, if they're listening to to this and relating to your story, is there any advice you can give to them to help them see the brighter side and not the dark side? Yeah, yeah. If it's, I mean, if you're going through something heavy, you know, ask for help. And you know, you if you don't have anyone, you can ask me. You know, just ask for help from anyone that any human being. Most people are good people. Um. And make sure to remind yourself that, you know, when, when bad happens, you know, good happens and it just, it, everything is what it is. I don't know. That's just such a, a platitude, you know, it's like, okay, dude, thanks for that advice. But it, it is, it really, you know, there's things in your control and there's things that aren't. And for the things that aren't, you know, if you let those things that aren't in, under your control, control you, then I think that's really bad. Try to you know try to have control of yourself because that's like probably one of the only things you really can control. Boom, boom! <laughs> you did it, you did it. Okay, so you said if you need help, reach out to me. How do people get in touch with you? How did they find out more about Baron Fig? Baronfig.com. Baron like the red Baron and Fig like the fruit. You can also tweet me, Joey Cafone. I'm sure. Uh, I'll be happy to chat C-O-F-O-N-E and then you can also email me Joey at Baron Fig if you want to say what's up I'll happily uh, chat tell me tell me about your life tell me about your notebooks but do it between 9 to 5 because Joey's yeah. out at 5 guys yeah well no you know if you got you're, trouble you're gonna, I'm there for you okay alright because yeah. you're going to yeah. unplug right you have to at some point yeah well I I'm grateful for the conversation, for the insights, for you sharing your story and the wisdom and and a very different point of view than a lot of the guests that we have who are really amazing artists who just believe in the grind. And so this is a a breath of fresh air. And and again, I think you are a a testament that despite um, some rough start, like a rough start in life, you have emerged on the other side of the tunnel just like as an amazing human being. So thank you very much for coming on the show. I hold one of your notebooks. I hope, and I think Ben Burns is talking to you about this, that there may be some kind of future collaboration, something that we need to do together. I'm really bought into the story, and now I understand it all, the entire ethos of Baron Fig. Thank you very much. Chris, thanks, man, for having me. I hope uh, everybody listening, hope you guys got something somewhere out of that. And you have- yeah, come on. Don't be so self-deprecating. They got a lot out of it. <laughs> I have a couple of pages of notes here. So uh, thank you. And there's always that, that gem. Guys, point, don't plan. With yeah. an asterisk or- on that. Joey's going to or- return to that. So this is the prequel <laughs> to whatever else is going to happen, you guys. You heard it here first. And when you see it on social media, you'll know kind of where that started. Yeah. Fantastic. Give me, give me a while and I'll write that book too. I want to see it. I want to see it. My name is Joey Cafone, and you are listening to The Future. This episode of The Future was sponsored by the all-new Chase Inc. Business Unlimited Credit Card. With unlimited 1.5% cash back on every purchase, no annual fees, and no minimum balance to redeem rewards, the Chase Inc. Business Unlimited Credit Card is a great choice for busy creative entrepreneurs. For more information, visit chase.com inc. 
That's spelled I-N-K. The Future is hosted by me, Chris Doe. The show is edited by Stuart Schuster. Big thanks to Adam Sanborn, who composed our theme song. To subscribe to The Future Podcast, check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and now SoundCloud. Make sure you rate and review our episodes. Don't miss out on upcoming events, live streams, workshops, and announcements by going to thefuture.com and sign up for the newsletter link at the bottom. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Future Is Here. Thanks for listening. That's it for this episode. See you in the future.